InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Nearly 20% of college-age adults in America are battling personality disorder, yet few are getting treated for it or even realize there's a problem. InfoTrack's Taryn McCall is here with the story. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. A recent study suggests a shocking number of young adults have personality disorders. Our guest today on InfoTrack is Dr. Mark Olfson of Columbia University and New York State Psychiatric Institute. He was co-author of the study. Welcome to InfoTrack, Dr. Olfson. The headline reads, one in five young adults has personality disorder. That's pretty disturbing on its face. Can you talk about the scope of the study? Yes, well, this is the first study that nationally representative college-age individuals in the United States to look across the board at psychiatric disorders. And when we do that, we find that they are surprisingly common. So not only, as you indicate, that one in five with personality disorders, but also one in five with alcohol use disorders, about 1 in 10 with depression and other mood disorders, and also about 1 in 10 with anxiety disorders. So these problems are quite common, and more troubling still is that only a very small portion of the young people who are struggling with these problems receive treatment, and the great majority of them are not receiving any care at all. Did the participants in the survey come from the general population, or were they already in treatment for one thing or another? No, they came from the general population, and they're sampled in such a way that they reflect the general population. So we can say with some confidence what the percentages of young people in America with these different disorders are. But 20% is such a huge number. Could there possibly be some overdiagnosing going on? Well, the way it works is that they take the criteria that psychiatrists and other mental health professionals use and turn them into questions, and they ask those questions. And on the basis of those responses, these diagnoses are generated. Now, it may be that some of these people, if they were to present to a psychologist or psychiatrist, that that mental health professional would have a different opinion. But the numbers are what they are, and as I say, they are quite striking. What, in your opinion, accounts for such a large number of young people suffering from various disorders? Well, that's a very good question. I really don't have a good answer for that. Some of these disorders, the more severe ones, certainly have a heritable or genetic component. Others of them may come out of life stressors and situations that people have encountered. I should indicate that some of these problems are less severe. So, for example, problems with particular fears or phobias. People have speaking phobias, for example. They know that they are common and they may not interfere that much with your life if you don't have to speak in front of groups as part of your work or as part of your life as a student. So there's a broad definition. That's right, for some of these. But some are pretty serious. You hear about school shootings. There were some infamous ones in the last couple years where college students snapped, and that certainly would register on the less innocuous side of the scale as a phobia. Yes, some of these are quite serious. One of them, for example, antisocial personality disorder, And that's a pattern where people really repeatedly lie and steal. They can be quite aggressive and get into fights. They don't have any regard for the safety of others, and they often end up in prison. You know, we find that fully 5%, 1 in 20 college students, met criteria for antisocial personality disorder. So that's an example of a more severe problem. Is this sort of a rite of passage, I guess, of adolescence, where you are 
exposed to a lot of different stressors and expectations, and some people have difficulty dealing with everything? It is seen as a transitional period where people are, have an opportunity to grow in many ways. They enjoy more independence, often from their parents, and are beginning to make decisions for themselves. But also with that comes, as you say, a fair amount of stress, and that may either worsen or bring out new mental health problems. Is it something that can be outgrown without intervention of medicine or drugs? One of the things that's so interesting about the study, and this is just a piece of the study focusing on young adults and adolescents, the whole study itself involves 40,000 people of all ages, and we've followed them now and re-interviewed them several years later, and we were able to find about 80% of them. So that's one of the things that we'll be learning over the next year or so, is to what extent these problems do persist and remit over time. There have been other studies, what are called longitudinal studies, and for many of the more severe problems, particularly for depression and bipolar disorder and so forth, they tend to recur over time and to not resolve and really require ongoing management. Do you feel that college students in particular are being underserved in terms of availability to psychiatric services if they are having some difficulties? I do, and I think they're away from where they grew up, and if they had a regular primary care physician, that that person may not be easily accessible. And although most colleges offer mental health services, some of them have well-organized college counseling centers, the accessibility of the care is highly variable. And I do think it's a group that's underserved. It's also a group that's not used to making health care decisions for themselves. And it may come as a surprise, but we also know that young people tend to hold more stigmatized views of mental health care than do older adults. It's possible, too, that stories you hear about binge drinking on campuses over abuse of alcohol in particular might be attempts at these troubled students trying to self-medicate. Yes, that is a concern. And you know, there have been studies in adults that have provided evidence for that so-called self-medication hypothesis. And, you know, and there are some college campuses where alcohol is readily accessible and, you know, they may be living in places where there's little supervision, sort of social cultures that develop that are organized around alcohol. And so there are lots of things to kind of increase access and availability. We're talking with Dr. Mark Olson of Columbia University and New York State Psychiatric Institute. I'm wondering, Dr. Olson, how equipped are high schools to help identify students at risk? Obviously, this isn't something that just makes itself known in college. There has to be some sort of developmental curve. I think generally high schools, if anything, are less well-equipped than colleges. They don't have often well-organized health services beyond a school nurse. And although some larger high schools have guidance counselors, there are a number of high schools across the country that have begun voluntary screening programs with parental consent, and now there are over 500 high schools around the country that participate in programs like that. So there are being inroads made. These are efforts to identify these problems early on. But in my view, anyway, there's a lot of room for improvement. Are there some resources available for parents, teachers, or students? It sort of depends on the person and the situation. There are for parents who have children who have well-defined and more severe mental health problems. There are parent advocacy and support groups that exist. The largest one is organized by a group called the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, or NAMI. There's also a group called Mental Health America. And these places can serve as clearinghouses for information about local services and also put you in touch with other parents who are going through similar things. 
The Internet is also a good source of information, although you have to be careful. And I steer you toward sites that are educational sites, .edu's, as uh, well as the NIMH, National Institutes of Mental Health in Maryland, has informational sites. The American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association also have informative websites with sections for parents. So the information is out there, but it requires some effort, I think, to access. Thank you very much. We're speaking with Dr. Mark Olson of Columbia University and New York State Psychiatric Institute on a study he co-authored that showed one in five young adults has some sort of personality disorder. Thank you so much for being with us today on InfoTrack. My pleasure. And I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.